Chapter 22 The Knights of the Grail wanted to face no further questions. Wolfram von Eschenbach, Parzifal, Roman 16, 819 Belbo was brief. He repeated what he had already said on the phone. The colonel had told a hazy story about discovering evidence of a treasure and some documents he had found in France, but he hadn't said much more about it. He seemed to think he was in possession of a dangerous secret, and he wanted to make it public so he wouldn't be the only one who knew it. He mentioned the fact that others who had discovered the secret before him had disappeared mysteriously. He would show us the documents only if we guaranteed him a contract, but Belbo couldn't guarantee a contract without seeing something first. They vaguely agreed to get together again. The colonel had spoken of a meeting with someone named Rakoski, describing him as the editor of Les Cahiers du Mystère. The colonel wanted this Rakoski to write a preface for him, and apparently Rakoski had advised him to delay publication. The colonel hadn't told this man about the appointment at Garamont. That was all. I see, De Angelis said. What sort of impression did he make on you? He seemed eccentric to us, and he spoke about his past in, well, an unrepentant tone. It included a spell in the Foreign Legion. He told you the truth, though not the whole truth. We were already keeping an eye on him, at least to some extent. We have so many such cases. First of all, Ardenti wasn't his real name, but he had a legitimate French passport. He started reappearing in Italy from time to time a few years ago, and was tentatively identified as a Captain Arcoveggi, sentenced to death in absentia in 1945, collaboration with the SS. He sent some people to Dachau. They were keeping an eye on him in France, too. He was tried for fraud there and just managed to get off. We have an idea, but only an idea, mind you, that Ardenti at one point was calling himself Fasotti, that he's the Fasotti that a small industrialist in Peschiera Borromeo filed a complaint against last year. This Fasotti, or Ardenti, had convinced the industrialist that the treasure of Dongo, the legendary fascist gold reserve, was still lying at the bottom of Lake Como. Fasotti claimed to have identified the spot and said all he needed was a few tens of millions of lire for a couple of divers and a powerboat. Once he had the money, he vanished. Now you confirm that he had a kind of mania about treasures. And this Rakoski? We checked. A Vladimir Rakoski was registered at the Principe e Savoia, French passport. Distinguished-looking gentleman. It matches the description the clerk here gave us. Alitalia says his name appeared on the passenger list for the first flight to Paris this morning. I've alerted Interpol. Annunciata, anything come in from Paris? Nothing so far, sir. And that's it. So, Colonel Ardenti, or whatever his name is, arrived in Milan four days ago. We don't know what he did the first three, but yesterday at two he presumably saw Rakoski in the hotel, didn't tell him about going to see you, which is interesting. Then last night he came here, probably with the same Rakoski and another man, and after that your guess is as good as mine. Even if they didn't kill him, they certainly searched his room. What were they looking for? In his jacket, which reminds me, if he went out it was in shirt-sleeves, because the jacket with his passport in the pocket is still here. But that doesn't make things any easier, because the old man says the colonel was stretched out on the bed in his jacket, unless it was a different jacket. God, I feel like I'm in a loony bin. Anyway, where was I? Oh, yes. In his jacket we found plenty of money, too much money, so it wasn't money they were looking for. And you gentlemen have given me the only lead. You say the colonel had some documents. What did they look like? 
He was carrying a brown briefcase, Belbo said. It looked more red to me, I said. Brown, Belbo insisted, but I could be wrong. Red or brown, DeAngeli said, it's not here now. Last night's visitors must have taken it. The briefcase is what we have to concentrate on. If you ask me, Ardenti wasn't trying to publish a book at all. He had probably come up with something he could blackmail Rakoski with, and talking about a publishing contract was a way of applying pressure. That would have been more his style. From there, any number of hypotheses are possible. The two men may have threatened him and left, and Ardenti was so scared that he fled into the night, leaving everything behind except the briefcase, which he clutched under his arm. But first, for some reason, he tried to make the old man think he was dead. It all sounds too much like a novel, and it doesn't account for the way the room was torn up. On the other hand, if the two men killed him and stole the briefcase, why would they also steal the corpse? Excuse me, but may I see your IDs? He looked at my student card, turning it over a few times. Philosophy student, eh? There are lots of us, I said. Far too many. And you're studying the Templars. Suppose I wanted to get some background on them. What should I read? I suggested two books, popular but fairly serious. I also told him he could find reliable information only up to the trial. After that it was all raving nonsense. I see, he said. Now it's the Templars, too. One splinter group I haven't run into yet. The policeman named Annunciata came in with a telegram. The reply from Paris, sir. De Angelis read it. Great, he said. No one in Paris has heard of Rakowski, and the passport number shows that it was stolen two years ago. Now we're really stuck. Monsieur Rakowski doesn't exist. You say he's the editor of a magazine. What was it called? He made a note. Well, we'll try, but I bet we find that the magazine doesn't exist either, or else it folded ages ago. All right, gentlemen, thanks for your help. I may trouble you again at some point. Oh, yes, one last question. Did Ardenti indicate that he had connections with any political organization? No, Belbo said. He seemed to have given up politics for treasures. And confidence games. He turned to me. You seem not to have liked him much. Not my style, I said, but it wouldn't have occurred to me to strangle him with a length of wire, except in theory. Naturally, too much trouble. Relax, Signor Casaban. I'm not one of those cops who think all students are criminals. Good luck also on your thesis. Excuse me, Belbo asked, but just out of curiosity, are you homicide or political? Good question. My opposite number from homicide was here last night. After they found a bit more on Ardenti in the records, he turned the case over to me. Yes, I'm from political, but I'm really not sure I'm the right man. Life isn't simple the way it is in detective stories. I guess not, Belbo said, shaking his hand. We left, but I was still troubled, not because of De Angelis, who seemed nice enough, but because for the first time in my life I found myself involved in something shady. I had lied, and so had Belbo. We parted at the door of the Garamont office, and we were both embarrassed. We didn't do anything wrong, Belbo said defensively. It won't make any difference if the police don't learn about Ingolf and the Cathars. It was all raving anyway. Maybe Ardenti had to disappear for other reasons. There could be a thousand reasons. Maybe Brokowski was an Israeli secret service agent settling old scores. Or maybe he was sent by some big shot the colonel had conned. Or maybe they were in the Foreign Legion together and there was some old grudge. Or maybe Rakowski was an Algerian assassin. And maybe this Templar treasure story was only a minor episode in the life of our colonel. 
All right, the briefcase is missing, red or brown. By the way, it was good that you contradicted me. That made it clear we had only a quick glimpse of it. I said nothing, and Belbo didn't know how to conclude. You'll say I've run away again, like Via Larga. Nonsense. We did the right thing. I'll see you. I was sorry for him because he felt like a coward. But I didn't. I had learned in school that when you deal with the police you lie, as a matter of principle. But a guilty conscience can poison a friendship. I didn't see Balbo for a long time after that. I was his remorse, and he was mine. I worked for another year and produced 250 typewritten pages on the trial of the Templars. It was then that I learned that a graduate student is less an object of suspicion than an undergraduate. Those were years when defending a thesis was considered evidence of respectful loyalty to the state, and you were treated with indulgence. In the months that followed, some students started using guns. The days of mass demonstrations in the open air were drawing to a close. I was short on ideals, but for that I had an alibi, because loving Amparo was like being in love with the Third World. Amparo was beautiful, Marxist, Brazilian, enthusiastic, disenchanted. She had a fellowship and splendidly mixed blood, all at the same time. I met her at a party and acted on impulse. Excuse me, I said, but I would like to make love to you. You're a filthy male chauvinist pig. Forget I said it. Never. I'm a filthy feminist. She was going back to Brazil, and I didn't want to lose her. She put me in touch with the University of Rio, where the Italian department was looking for a lecturer. They offered me a two-year contract with an option to renew. I didn't feel at home in Italy anymore. I accepted. Besides, I told myself, in the new world, I wouldn't run into any Templars. Wrong, I thought, Saturday evening, as I huddled in the periscope. Climbing the steps to the Garamont office had been like entering the palace. Binna, Diotalevi used to say, is the place Chokma builds as he spreads out from the primordial point. If Chokma is the source, Binna is the river that flows from it, separating into its various branches until they all empty into the great sea of the last Sephira. But in Binna, all forms are already formed. <laughs>